Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today we have Gary speaking at a press conference he did right before his keynote in Mexico. He answers questions on how social media allows everyone to voice their opinion and how some people fold under the pressure of others. I hope this brings you some value. Gary, welcome yes. to Mexico. Thank you. Welcome to Monterey. Thank you. Welcome to Inc. Monterey. Thank and you. It's an honor to have you at this festival. This group of journalists represents the most important Mexican and Latin American media. Also, one of them is joining us on behalf of the U.S. and the Netherlands. Thank you for taking a moment to share insightful knowledge with them. Thank you. So we are going to start with the, with the Q&A. They want to speak mainly in, in, in Spanish. Spanish. If someone wants to speak in English, they are able to, to do so. And we have a translator here just in case. So we English The startups in emerging regions. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, how create startups inside emerging countries? Yes. I'm, uh, to me, I think that both work. You know, the reality is, I'm sure as you know, 90% of people can't afford to pick themselves up and go fly to Silicon Valley and live there and start a startup. Facebook was started in Boston. Pinterest was started in Pennsylvania. You know, so a lot of companies are started outside of Silicon Valley and then when funding comes in, they can move, right? Spotify was started in Sweden. So. I, for me, I think starting companies within where you are is far more practical and has been proven historically more viable. So for, you know, I, whenever I come to other places in the world, when I go to cities that are big in America, they cry about I have to go to Silicon Valley. When I come to other countries, I have so much empathy to, oh, I can't build a big company here. The problem is everybody wants to build Uber or Facebook, and I think we have to change this idea of billion dollar companies. There are thousands of companies that can be built in Monterey, in Mexico, that are multi-million dollar, very successful companies with never even worrying about Silicon Valley or America. I think you start there, and then if you have the fortune of creating something revolutionary, you'll go global in no time. Thank you. Tomemos esta por aquí que ya le había dado la palabra y después Gerardo. I am Leo Peralta from Ipsum Radio website. I have a question. Usually media used to be an endeavor for entrepreneurs with many millions of dollars, very huge investments. Nowadays, who are the new entrepreneurs for media? Are these people coming from advertising, from technology? Are these young, younger people, other people? Who is coming to this to this business nowadays? Nowadays, the internet is the distribution. To your point, Leonardo, you know, distribution used to be very expensive. 
if you wanted to start an actual television network, you had to shoot a satellite into space. If you wanted to be a newspaper, you had to buy a printing press and have distribution. Because the internet, for all of us in this room, is free. Uh, The reality is that everybody has the potential to be in the media business on a personal brand level, on a talking about your favorite subject. If you wanna be the most important media outlet around football in the country of Mexico, properly executing on top of Instagram, properly executing on top of YouTube, starting a podcast with no cost, gives you the potential, if you're a good storyteller, to be in the game within two, three years. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy how much of an impact the internet actually is. And so the answer is everybody. Children, uh, companies that sell sneakers now think of themselves potentially as a media company. Traditional media companies have four or five people leave, start their own company. The reality is everybody. Good morning. My name is Joseph. What's your opinion of the, the Latin American system after Rappi? And how Uber bought a corner shop. And what? Uh, how Uber, Uber bought corner shop. Got it. So, you know, Uber buying, I'll start with the second part. You know, global companies are always buying, you know, brands or companies within markets. Ironically, when I think about the Latin market, I always think about ABI InBev. You know, a Brazilian company went on to buy the most historic beer brand in America. So whoever's winning operationally always can eat up other things. Um, For me, there's so much vibrance in, in the Latin American markets, South and Central America. There's so much opportunity for business growth. Um, more importantly, America's culture, their pop culture, which has always been the most important part of America, is becoming more Latin by the minute. You know, when you look at the music culture right now in America, it's a very important indicator. When you look at, you know, you know Becky G and Bad Bunny and, and Nicky Jam, if you see what's actually happening with music in America, I actually think that we are in the dawn of the greatest era of Latin American impact in the world because Latin America is starting to impact America. Hey, Jordan. Oh, that's a good question. So, you know, it's funny because I was born in the Soviet Union and so, and grew up in, a, in the United States of America. So you can imagine my, my upbringing and, and perspective is skewed. I, I genuinely believe that the private sector is the enabler of innovation and growth in an entrepreneurial way. At the same token, I do believe that capitalism has been manipulated in the U.S in a way that the, you know, the government's involvement in proper ways to even out the score is an interesting debate because anything in life that goes too extreme is always gonna be uh, vulnerable. So in a, in a nirvana fantasy world, there's this perfect balance between the private sector and the government that enables innovation and growth. The reality, as you and I know, there is nobody in the world that's 50-50 or has that right balance. 
but I think it's been very obvious over the last 100 years that when a country or a region skews more private sector, far more innovation is created because when you get government or university or things involved, the reality is the humans that gravitate towards that tend to want more control, are slower, and innovation requires speed and lack of politics. Two questions. Which are the main faults? Disculpa. Okay, which are the main faults or mistakes when you're starting a company? How to overcome it? What's your advice also for the young entrepreneurs to get uh, funding or investments? Um, the, some of the biggest mistakes currently in the way the game's being played today is overfunding. You know, way too many people want too much money up front because they don't want to build a business, they want to build a economic arbitrage machine. Which leads me to the biggest fault. The single biggest fault in entrepreneurship in today's society is lack of patience. Everybody got so addicted with the story of Instagram and Facebook and Uber that they don't understand that 99.9% of businesses need a decade or two to build something meaningful, not build something that's worth a billion dollars in 24 months, right? So lack of patience, overfunding, and then you know, the game itself. I believe right now we have the greatest era of people forcing themselves to be entrepreneurs because it's cool when they're really a journalist, when they're really an operator, when they're really an educator. So my great fear right now, and I'm at the forefront, you know, and I'm, I'm benefiting from the, the coolness of entrepreneurship, but in my words, I'm telling people, this is not for everybody. So, and then finally, most people build companies without taking the customer into account. It's very interesting to me. I'm fascinated by people starting companies that they want to exist versus companies that customers are showing you they want to exist. So it's a focus group of one instead of focusing on the end consumer. So non-consumer centric, lacking patience, overfunding, and the unbelievable inability to deal with losing. A lot of people really struggle with micro losses and by having it not be as big as they thought it was gonna be or starting to run out of money, a lot of people fold under pressure and that's because they worry about judgment. They worry about a bad article. They worry about their mom saying they're not good. They're worried and so judgment, being able to be detached from judgment is very important. Hello, Jesus. What's been the evolution of social media? And where? Where do you see them in the next 10 years? And how companies or personal brands should take advantage of them? So the evolution of social media was 10 years ago when I was in it. Social media was put on a pedestal for being so great for allowing voices that didn't have a voice to be heard. Today, it's being demonized for letting voices that weren't heard to be heard. Uh, 
So we've, we've taken it from a place of nirvana to a place where we demonize it and right now, I mean in America there's conversations of breaking the companies up. Um, that's the macro. In the micro, the evolution has been when I first started doing Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, it was not even known, let alone respected. Today, I think most people understand its power and how important it is as a communication framework. I think the best way that personal brands and businesses can take advantage of it is A, understanding two core principles. One, where is their organic reach that you don't have to pay for at all times? Currently, the two places where that is is TikTok and LinkedIn. If you post on TikTok and LinkedIn and you have no following, you have the opportunity for a lot more people to see it. If you do that on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, almost nobody will see it. So number one, organic reach. Number two, advertising that's underpriced. Instagram story ads in Mexico, I know this to be true because I looked before I came, Instagram story ads, those are the ads at the story level, not in your feed, at the story level, are wildly underpriced. You can buy them for a dollar or two for every thousand impressions. And they're actually being seen. It's not like a billboard or a television commercial. So to me, the way to take advantage of it is to understand organic and paid inefficiencies so that you could take advantage of them. And then how do you produce content at a low enough cost so that you can produce a lot of it while still being contextual to where you post? It's, LinkedIn and TikTok are very different. You can't put the same video on both of them and think you're gonna get the same results. You can't use the same words. You can't have the same content. Organic and paid arbitrage, then content at scale to take advantage of the psychology of the person who's consuming it in those platforms. One last question. Hi. My question is about SoftBank. About what? SoftBank. SoftBank. Um, do you think uh, SoftBank has problems with results of Delta form and Vision Phone Do I think that SoftBank has what, darling? Uh, problems with results of uh, with the results of its Vision Phone. Vision Phone. Yeah, I th- you know, so a couple things. I talk very passionately about what I know and it's hard for me to talk passionately about what I don't know. So before I answer, I haven't done enough homework to give you a great answer, but here's what I can tell you. SoftBank has clearly been the fund that has been leading the way in enormously high valuations of the biggest companies in the world and we've already seen, this is not even, you don't have to predict, WeWork right now is underwater Uh, I thought I saw a headline yesterday or the day before that SoftBank declared very big losses and my answer early on of overfunding and building financial arbitrage, not actual businesses, is potentially playing out with SoftBank and many others. And what SoftBank does with that kind of fund, that gets replicated by smaller funds, which are still huge, all over the world. I I can't speak to SoftBank's vision fund because I'm undereducated. I can speak to the following. I believe that 99% of startups are grossly overfunded. They're overvalued, they're burning too much money, and very similar to what happened in the year 2000 in America, 2001, when the stock market collapsed because those internet companies were overvalued, 
Today those companies are real companies, not like 2000, but they're still overvalued. And when you're overvalued, you're vulnerable. And the other behaviors we've seen is founders taking money off the table as they keep raising capital, which de-incentivizes them to actually build a business. I believe that this last half decade was the great era of not businesses being built, of financial arbitrage being built. And so yes, it would not surprise me in common sense for them to be in trouble. I'm just not educated enough to 100% say they are. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. (laughs) Have a great day.